You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon, click on the ad free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time ad free over on Patreon. everyone. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by legal commentator, television journalist, author, one of the most brilliant lawyers I know. And I say icon in the flesh, Miss Nancy Grace. Okay. You're scaring me. And I don't like being called a legal commentator. First of all, objection, uh, because um, I don't like talking heads very often. They don't know what they're talking about. And they're hacks. They've never tried a case. They have no idea what goes on in the courtroom. Yet they're talking about it. I consider myself, number one, a mom. Number two, a crime victim of violent crime. And three, a former prosecutor. The rest was happenstance. You have to, you know what? You have to know Nancy Grace is here when we have an objection in the first like minute of the show. So, I mean, how great is that? How are you today? You know what? I am happy to be alive. Um, I have been covering so many cases from honor killings to brides being bludgeoned dead on their Fiji vacation in a $4,000 a night villa. Um, It's hard for me sometimes to take in the crime that I investigate and cover, but I am blessed because I have uh, this, let me, knock on wood I have these you know two beautiful twins boy girl and my husband I haven't murdered him yet so everything's good I do happen to have two guinea pigs a cat a dog and my 91 year old mother living with me but that said I'm pretty lucky wow I think you're the first person I ever talked to that actually has guinea pigs hamsters gerbils (laughs) but I don't think I've ever I got the guinea pigs where at the rescue the I think it's Oakhurst or Hazelhurst Animal Rescue. They do nothing but guineas because people get them. Then they find out they're nothing but eating pooping machines, and they abandon them. These are actual rescue guineas. I didn't even know that was a thing, but it is. I did not even know that was a thing. Well, listen, I'm a lawyer too, so I cannot wait to talk to you about your brilliant legal. Career. Wait a minute, you don't want to talk about the guinea pigs? I would love to talk about the guinea pigs. I didn't want guinea pigs. First of all, she got a cat obsession and she would watch kitty videos nonstop. So we got cinnamon from the pound. Then sadly, six months into that, she started watching guinea pig videos. I'm like, no, no, please. No, that's all she wanted for Christmas, uh, birthday, you name it. 
Pants, Abby and Chloe, and now Spot. The question is like, do you think she's like inching for any more particular animals? Like, is there, I mean, do you realize that I've never had a pet in my whole life? I know it sounds really crazy. Yes, uh, not yesterday. A couple of weeks ago, we went to some of their friends' home and they have a hamster named Hambert. I'm like, don't, do not even. She came walking around and I'm like, go away, go away, little girl. We're not getting a hamster. So I think I'm ready to put my foot down. You know, I can be really mean in court, but when she walks up with those big green eyes, I just melt. You're like, let's just get another pet. Let's just do it. Well, look, congratulations are in order. Bloodline Detectives, we have a new show. Yeah, you know what? I'm really thrilled because very often in court, it's literally uh, like hand-to-hand mutual combat in court. I remember being court, in court, it's like a tennis match. I look at the witness and the jury, witness and jury. And when the judge would say something, I'm like, okay, what do you, why are you talking? Because you, you can't miss a thing. And very often you don't get into the intricacies of forensic science. But I'll tell you a funny story. Bloodline Detectives is all about cracking a case through forensic technology. Now, I know you may not be superstitious or you may not believe in premonitions, but you know what? Go ahead and and be blind. But I remember, and I guess it was the sixth grade in the science book, we were studying and we turned the page and I saw this word and I knew in the sixth grade, I think it was, I would have to know that word and how to pronounce it one day. It was deoxyribonucleic acid. And I kept saying it over and over and over until I could say it in the sixth grade. I didn't need it until I started trying felony cases, specifically murder, many, many years later from the sixth grade. But that's the way that went down. Wow. Well, I mean, listen, I, again, I didn't practice corporate law, but I thought I knew a thing or two, but like, I mean, this is technically using like genetic genealogy and like familial searching. So like you're searching someone's fan and I watched a bunch of the episodes and that's the other thing I thought I'd watch, you know, an episode to prepare for this. This sucks you in. This is so addicting. It really does. And I get sucked into the cases too. Of course, I've, I've always been that way when I would investigate cases, I would go to the victim's family first and sit there, go through the family albums, have coffee, uh, have dinner, just the whole thing, spend a lot of time really getting to know the intricacies of the case. And it really helped me in court, same way with these cases. And they're only, in my mind, as far as cracking a case, enhanced by all the years that pass between the murder and or sex assault, rape, and solving the case. I mean, sometimes 20, 65 years actually pass before a case is solved. And when I say solved, I mean solved beyond a shadow of a doubt, not a reasonable doubt, which is the legal standard, of course, in a criminal case, but beyond a shadow of a doubt, because when we're saying DNA cracks the case, the odds are sometimes one in three trillion that the defendant didn't do it. That's pretty good odds, wouldn't you say? And this DNA evidence that is obtained from a crime scene, you know, 20, as I said, 65 years ago, if it is collected and preserved correctly, it can be used decades later to crack a case. 
and we all became familiar with that. It came on the, the uh, uh, you know, general consciousness with the Golden State Killer case. Right. That POC technical legal term had got D'Angelo had gone for decades without being caught raping and murdering women all over California. And I believe beyond. I thought I saw it all until I watched this show. I mean, do you have a case, you know, just like that kind of stands out to you as just like the most shocking, the most like difficult to solve where you were like, wow, like if it wasn't for like this technology, maybe we wouldn't be here. Well, there were so many that touched my heart. There was one called the, the baby in a bundle. A baby was found dead. I hate talking about crimes on children. So I'll pick another contender for one that really stuck in my mind. And it was the case of a female hospital worker. So cute, Jennifer Watkins. And uh, she was working in a hospital and she was, fa- well, people were led to her by the, well, People put it in nice terms, but let me just tell the truth, the stench, the stench. And once you've been on a crime scene and you've seen or smelled a human body, you never forget it. There's nothing like it. Uh, I've seen grown detectives, seasoned detectives leave a crime scene in vomit from seeing a dead, the dead body or smelling the dead body. I don't know how medical examiners do it, but they do. Um, that is what led people to Jennifer's body. She's so cute, so young, working at this hospital, the world before her. And she was not only brutally murdered, um, she was wrapped in plastic, which has two effects on me to find out a dead body's wrapped in plastic. First reaction, oh, how horrible to possibly die of asphyxia from being wrapped like hermetically sealed in plastic. And number two, part of me is dancing down the hallway because I think plastic, fingerprints, DNA, touch DNA. When Jennifer was murdered all the way back in 1999, as I recall, they didn't have touch DNA, which is slang. It's uh, simply put uh, epithelial cells, which are your skin cells. When you touch, you leave behind these cells, no matter what. So that DNA can now, in many cases, be extracted from plastic. It's a great medium to get fingerprints and DNA. And, and it can be sourced many, many years later. I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all in one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals 
with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. Now that I'm in LA part-time, everyone's telling me I should try hiking Runyon Canyon. I'm such not an outdoor hiking person. I'm more of a gym person, but you know, I figured I'd give it a try. So I finally set aside the morning before I started work and it was a little bit cloudy in the sky, but today was the day that I was going to hike Runyon Canyon. And then halfway in the middle, it started raining and then it started pouring. But guess what? I made it to the top of Runyon Canyon. And in part, I have to say that's because I was wearing Vessi shoes. And why did Vessi shoes help me get to the top in a torrential downpour? Because they're 100% waterproof. How many times are you out and running around or doing something active and it starts to pour and then you get home and your shoes are soaking wet? Imagine your favorite sneaker styles now 100% waterproof. They have high tops, slip-ons, and your classic sneaker all waterproof. They're comfortable and they're so stylish. Do you think I would wear something that wasn't stylish? Come on. And now I could say I've hiked Runyon Canyon. Thank you, Vessi. Head to Vessi.com slash velvet and get yourself a pair today. That's Vessi.com and get shoes for your best summer yet. Honey Love, you guys know how much I love Honey Love. Who would have known? I've become an expert in women's shapewear. You know I sent it to Sarah Fraser and Kim D. Now I'm going to send some to Rachel Yucatel. It's kind of like if you want to be a regular correspondent on the Behind the Velvet Row podcast, I'm kind of going to make it mandatory that you have to wear Honey Love shapewear. But don't take my word for it. You guys have been slipping into my DMs and telling me all about your purchases. You guys seem to love the Superpower Short. The Superpower Short has targeted compression technology that distinguishes between the areas you want to support and those you feel need less compression. They have a signature X and it targets and sculpts your body without squeezing your natural curves. Also, which is unheard of in women's shapewear, you don't have to worry about it rolling down. There's flexible boning that's hidden in the inside seams to keep it up. There's also a booty lifter. They also have bras, tanks, leggings, everything you need for everyday support. Listen, the struggle is real, ladies. I hear ya, and I am here to help you guys. So listen, treat yourself to the best shape around the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash velvet. Make sure to use that link or you're going to have to pay full price. To get 20% off, go to honeylove.com slash velvet rope. And that's what happened here. Many, many years later, genetic genealogy was used to re-examine that plastic. DNA was found in two places, on the plastic and on her body. And genetic genealogy was used. That means, let's just pretend you have a really serious felony rap sheet and you had to give your DNA. Um, no, let's take it another step. Let's say you've got a felony rap sheet and you didn't have to give your DNA in your jurisdiction. And I've got a match on the dead body. I go all the way back because it doesn't really match to you specifically. All the way back up into your family tree, let's say a hundred years ago, and you follow it down and then you figure out who in that family tree was living in that area at the time of the incident. Then you start honing in like in some cases, like in D'Angelo, they got, as I recall, a discarded item. It could be a pizza crust. It could be a Coke bottle. It could be anything. The cops can watch you until you get up from your table and they go seize your glass once you've abandoned it. And they get that DNA and then they get a match. But they've got to suspect you first. They've got to find you first. It's like a needle in a haystack. 
It is like a needle in a haystack. Now, I mean, feel free to correct me because, you know, I have a law degree somewhere in some closet, but you're actually a real lawyer. You my know, law degree is also in my closet, along with my law review certificate. It's at least you were on law review, honey. I didn't quite get that far. But, you know, I do say on this show all the time, like, you know, and I joke about it, but it's no joking matter. But I mean, I say like, you can't kill anyone in today's day and age. Like, I mean, with these technologies, it's like, right? I mean, what, right, what, it's crazy how this all works. And it I really learned is. a lot of that from this show too. I couldn't believe some of the things they were. And it's always um, ironic to me that, have you ever noticed when a woman goes missing, suddenly her husband turns into a neat neck? I mean, you can find him at Walmart buying Lysol and detergent and bleach and tarps, all sorts of things, mops and rags, um, DNA. It's very hard to break down. Um, you need something more than just bleach. You need something like um, black swan, a type of uh, a type of agent that is so strong it literally can break down the DNA. Um, something with an acidic base. But all of the cleaning and the mopping very rarely can get rid of trace evidence that you leave behind that is naked is is visible not visible to the naked eye you go in there and use luminol then bring out the black light you can find uh, and, and we just saw this in the uh case of alex murdoch of south carolina he didn't realize he was walking around with very fine blood spatter on his shirt okay he couldn't see that, but luminol can see it. So when you think you're cleaning, you're not. Wow. Well, right. So don't do it, Dave. Don't murder somebody and then think you're cleaning it up. All right. With 409. That's not going to work. That's what I always say. And especially not with Nancy Grace in our lives. We don't want to go and do any of these things. But you know, all joking aside, you know, I know that you kind of got, you know, you got into law really because of your own fiance being like taken away and, you know, killed. Did you ever think when you became a lawyer, like, was there any, you know, like I'm a former corporate lawyer. Did you ever think of doing anything else with your career? Um, I never thought I was going to be a lawyer to start with. I wanted to be a Shakespearean uh, literature professor and uh, was finishing up that degree when Keith was murdered. You know, I stupidly read Twitter the other day and some person wrote in that I was using Keith's murder to further my career. That hurt me. Uh, I went for all those years through law school and over a decade prosecuting in inner city Atlanta. And we never mentioned Keith's murder because I was afraid that somehow maybe a defense attorney would try to have me disqualified from a case. Not that it would have worked, but it could be brought up and that would be a stumbling block uh, to getting a true verdict. Um, believe me, if I could change what happened to Keith, I would. But uh, as I was saying, I was just finishing, close to finishing my degree in Shakespearean literature. And I was coming out of a statistics exam. 
And the thing that strikes me the most is inside the hallway leading from the building at Mercer University, it was dark in there. And when I stepped out, it was so bright and beautiful. It was August the 6th. And there were, I literally, there were butterflies flying by and the, the, the flowers were blooming. And it's a beautiful, vibrant green campus. And I would have to walk from there all the way across campus to my job at the library. And I looked down, I realized I was going to be late, like 10 minutes late. So I stopped en route and called the library to tell them I was going to be late. And the librarian told me to call Keith's sister. And I immediately knew Keith was dead. I don't know how. And uh, I called her and I remember my hand, my right hand couldn't dial the numbers correctly. But I got through to her and I immediately said, is Keith gone? And she was crying and she said, yes. And I don't know why I hung the phone up. I didn't even know what had happened. And I didn't have anywhere to go. So I started to go home to where my parents lived and I happened to notice there were a lot of cars parked at our little Methodist church. And I went there, I knew nobody was home. And I went in and our pastor happened to be there. I'm like, I think Keith is, is dead. And he went, no, no, no. And I remember sitting across the desk from him and I read upside down, he wrote Bernstein Funeral Home. And then I knew Keith was dead. And I, I kept thinking if I could just get to him, I could fix it. But I said, what happened? And he said, I said, was he in a car accident? And he went, no, he was shot. And that started an odyssey that changed the rest of my life. My world exploded and Keith's world ended. I dropped out of school. I lost down to 89 pounds. I couldn't eat. I remember I couldn't stand to hear music or TV. My mother stopped the clocks in her house because the ticking drove me crazy. But finally, I did go back to school with the goal of going to law school. And um, it took me a while, but I finally made it to the Fulton County District Attorney's Office in inner city Atlanta, which was then one of the murder capitals of our country. And here we are. And here we are. Did you ever think when you were at the DA's office and just prosecuting all these cases and bringing all these people to justice that, you know, you would find your way into the public eye and media just from accepting a job at court TV with Johnny Cochran? No, I didn't. And that's funny how that happened. It was a complete fluke, a total fluke. Um, court TV uh, asked to cover one of my cases, which was a murder case, a millionaire in Atlanta murdered his wife and burned the house down. And I could not have cared less. I didn't even think about the camera. It caught me hitching up my pantyhose and putting on lipstick more than once. And I, I didn't want to be thinking about a camera in the back of the courtroom. And 
After that, uh, they asked to cover a serial rape case. And I said, no way. These ladies are not going to testify with a camera in their face. So I told the women about it and they went, wait a minute. We didn't do anything wrong. He's the one that did something wrong. You know, screw him and the horse he rode in on. We, we, we'll be happy to, to talk about this. And they did. And then O.J. Simpson committed double murder. And I did a little guest turn on court TV. And really, the rest is history. In fact, it's funny. They called. Uh, I, I sat on a panel of expert, which means out-of-town lawyers. And I sat between Johnny Cochran, God rest his soul, and Roy Black. Cochran straight off the Simpson win and Black straight off the William Kennedy Smith debacle. And they were both riding high. I didn't know any of the people in that big room. And I didn't care. And I lit into them like nobody's business. I mean, look, I flew into town. I chewed them new rooms. And then I left. I didn't care. Okay. That leads to an offer to do what he say, she said, Cochran and Grace. And believe it or not, I went, no. I'm a trial lawyer. I got a case on Monday. Then fate stepped in and the elected DA, Mr. Slayton, the longest serving DA in the country at that time, decided to retire. I was heartbroken. I went and begged him, please don't do this. But he was going to retire. So I called Court TV back, TV back and said, hey, you know that job? I'll take it. So I moved to New York with um, a curling iron, $300 in my savings account, and two Shifro boxes of clothes. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? Well, look, I mean, I think, I mean, uh, there's a, not a time in my life that I can think of like something major happening in law where Nancy Grace is not on the TV commenting in our lives. I'm from New York, so I know where my outspoken style, you know, you're a nice Southern girl, Nancy. Like, where does this, I mean, you do not mince your words, which I absolutely love because that's what I grew up with. Like, where does this, you know, style come from where you're just born to do this? You don't hold back. Now, if I didn't know you better from your on-air persona, I would accuse you of stereotyping. Because what possesses you to think a Southern female can't speak her mind. I'm just curious. Well, I just think people outside of New York City are much nicer human beings. And, you know, they take a minute to like get to know you before they like cut you off and tell you to go F yourself and, you know, man, woman or anything else. But you do have a good point about that. I don't, I don't really know. My mother uh, was a, a business person. She was a CFO of a company and she started as a bank teller. She did not go to college. She was also a professional musician. She played organ, the big pipe organ, where you actually play with your feet too. She plays piano. She even played cello in the symphony. And, uh, but she didn't get to go to college and she worked her way up to CFO. My dad um, was offered a four-year scholarship in basketball and he turned it down to lie to the U.S. government about his age and join the Navy and go halfway across the world in the world war. Anyway, my siblings and I were the first to actually go to college and graduate. Um, I never dreamed about a dream wedding or um, dating or anything like that. I dreamed of being an author and um, traveling the world 
and riding horses. That was my dream growing up. Okay. I, I never dreamed of this, and uh, it was certainly far beyond the red dirt road I grew up on. Yes. Well, listen, like I said, you've commented on all these cases. You know, I think based on your age, you kind of, you know, it's, you have your point of reference of where you first, you know, heard of Nancy Grace and associated Nancy Grace. For me, it will always be OJ, which I'm giving away my generation now. What do you say, you know, to people... I'm asking, but what do you say to people, you know, like online, you mentioned Twitter and we all know how social media works who say like, oh God, she's still talking about OJ. She can't get over it. You know, cause there is that out there. No, I'm asking. Actually, I very rarely talk about OJ Simpson or I'm tall James Simpson. I am way past Simpson. He did it. He committed double murder. A jury let him off. Then he committed an armed robbery and uh, went to jail then he got out. Now he's just searching the world for Nicole Brown lookalikes and playing golf. <laughs> yes, yes. I got bigger fish to fry. You do have bigger fish to fry. Is it when there's something like that, just for an example, like when, you know, there's this verdict and it's like not guilty, like, does that get easier for you? Or is that, you know what I mean? Like, do you take it to bed at night of like, like you said, okay, this person did this and you know you can only do so much as Nancy Grace or do you just say this is the job I've got bigger fish to fry and I'm like jaded or not jaded but you know you just you're used to it you've seen it all when I said I've got bigger fish to fry I mean he's already fried I have other people yet to be fried uh I try to let it go at the end of the day and that's a recent development because I had my twins John David and Lucy and I want them to have a very happy home. I don't want mommy to be strung out. But I will say, um, for instance, last night before I went to bed, I studied the case of a so-called honor killing where two teen girls were shot dead in Texas by their dad who did not want them to become, quote, Americanized, his word, not mine. And he shot them dead in the back of a cab uh, multiple times and I was I guess I was so upset I screamed in my sleep my son came running in the room and said mom what I'm like just a bad dream that I think is left over from what happened to Keith and I, I don't think trauma ever really goes away and the parade of cases so short answer no, I don't put it to bed, even though I try to. I try not to bring it home. But you know what? You can't walk knee deep through the mud all day and not track a little bit home at night. I need to tell you guys about my latest obsession, and it's called Quince. I just got a cashmere v-neck sweater in like this gorgeous blue and matching cashmere joggers for $150. Cashmere. This outfit looks like it's over a thousand. But that's the thing about Quince. They offer elevated basics. It's kind of like quiet luxury without paying luxury prices. They have men's, women's, home goods, babies, kids. For women, they have items like 100% European linen for under $50. They have silk skirts 
skirts, Italian leather bags, and 14 karat gold jewelry that starts at just $30. They provide items that look so expensive, like my gorgeous blue cashmere sweatsuit at very affordable prices. Their prices are actually 50 to 80% less than similar brands. It's a really brilliant idea. They cut out the middleman and partner with top factories to pass the savings on to you. They also have home goods. I love their sheets. They have wall art. It really is a one-stop shop. Upgrade your closet this summer with Quince. Right now, go to quince.com slash velvet rope to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash velvet rope for free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash velvet rope. Some is going to get on your living room floor. That's just that. Oh, but I wanted to tell you something about the case I mentioned earlier. Yes. Remember the uh, hospital worker that was so cute yeah. um, back in 1999, Jennifer Watkins. Well, listen to this. At first, her boyfriend, I, was, I wouldn't call him necessarily a boyfriend, but someone she had been dating, a guy named Michael, was a suspect. He volunteered to take a poly and he passed. So the case went unsolved for, oh, I think 30 years until another person working at the hospital, Ricky Sievert, matched up on that DNA 20, 30 years later because of genetic genealogy. And, you know, on TV, on crime stories and detective stories and novels, we focus on circumstantial evidence because it's, you know, exciting. It's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle, which I love. But you cannot beat forensic technology. And now with the new breakthroughs, I only wish I had had this when I was prosecuting. But this is new and welcome in crime fighting. Yeah, I mean, as I watched this great show, Bloodline Detectives, that is what went through my mind. I mean, that was my question, like, Okay, you look at an OJ. Like, if we had this, then do you think? Why are you calling him by his first name? Like, are you going to go home and have dinner with him? No, I am not. Please don't. <laughs> if you value your head, I would advise not to get close to OJ Simpson. I would rather because have dinner Nicole with you. Brown was nearly decapitated. Her head was still in her body by a thin piece of skin on the back of her neck. Let's just not forget that. Okay. No. Well, that's my point. Like these, it's so advanced today. You look at like that case or any other cases, like if we kind of had all these forensics, then you can only wonder, right? Yeah, you're right. Although Johnny Cochran, although I don't agree with anything he ever said, he had a way about him. I was so prepared to hate his guts, but there's something about Johnny, again, God rest his soul, that I actually learned from. He walked into a room and everybody wanted to know him and be connected to him. And I would sit back and watch. Um, number one, I was the, the sidekick, all right? And I accepted that. But I would stand back and watch when he would walk in. He had a charisma. Um, not, not, you know, those people that are loud and uh, very loquacious. It wasn't like that. He just had a natural uh, enigmatic quality about him that people wanted to be friends with him and that worked for the jury too they wanted to believe whatever Cochran said because they liked him and 
of course, Simpson didn't take the stand wisely because then his real personality would have come out. But the jury focused on Cochran and they liked him and whatever they said, he said they wanted to believe. And I learned that about the likability factor in a courtroom. Wow, that is interesting. Do you think, I mean, look, you wrote a book on it about a high-priced defense attorney and celeb defendants hijacking the court system. Like, is it, do you see that? Like when it is a celebrity or someone with tons of money or influence, is there really, like, does it, does the pendulum really swing? Yeah, it really, it really does. Um, I mean, look at Depp. There were people dressed up like pirates outside the courtroom. And I'll tell you what, I think sunk Amber Heard is her lying. And she lied about pretty mundane things that she didn't have to lie about, like giving money to those two charities when she really didn't fulfill her pledge. And instead of saying, you know what, I ran out of money. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. She tried to parse the words by saying that was a pledge. Okay. Not, I never promised to actually donate. It was a promise to promise. It was like, what? I mean, little facts like that made her lose credibility where Depp just came out and went, yeah, I'm a drunk doper. They, I said it, but I didn't hit her. And the least thing can turn a jury. And if they spot, if they get a whiff of your lie, you're up the creek without a paddle. No matter how small and that like you're innocent. Well, I think lying about charitable donations pretty much took the cake. Do you were you shocked at that verdict, Amber Heard and Johnny? No, I was not shocked because between that lie and the lie about tipping off TMZ, I think the jury didn't like her back to the likability factor. And again, jury trials are not supposed to be a popularity contest. Nobody's going to go home being crowned Miss Congeniality in a case like that. But given Johnny Depp's popularity and his willingness to embrace and admit his foibles and his faults, all the things he did wrong, I think, you know, I think a jury will always side with a sinner and not the hypocrite. That's an interesting statement, but I would agree with that. What do you say? Like you mentioned Twitter earlier, you know, and someone was accusing you of these things. Like, what do you say to the naysayers who, you know, say, okay, like our justice system, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, like you're innocent until proven guilty. Well, Nancy Grace says guilty until proven innocent. And, you know, I do not say guilty until proven innocent. I say innocent until proven guilty in court, but look around. You're not in a courtroom, are you? That looks like a really nice home. Uh, You're not in court. You can analyze the facts as you see fit. There is no objection that's about to hit you in the head like a cement block. That's not going to happen. We can call it like we see it. So yes, in court, you are innocent until proven guilty. But I can comment on the facts as I see them. And I think a lot of people appreciate that because I think your comments are what a lot of people are thinking and they just don't want to say. You know, that's the funny thing about the truth. I don't have a problem saying it. No, you don't. That's why I was so excited to speak to you. I mean, if, would it, can you imagine the world if everyone just 
kind of spoke the truth. Like to your point, Johnny Depp was getting up there and saying like, here are all my flaws. Like, I don't know what you want from me. We're human, right? People have flaws. If you're just honest about things. Yeah. And there was a lot to be honest about. I mean, that testimony and those videos, that's another thing. You know, I've had plenty, you know, my husband and I never argued until we had children. And then it's like, you know, bring it on. It's because I think one thing about how they should be raised, he thinks another. Um, long story short, when we do have an argument, I don't think to pick up my camera and start filming him on my cell phone. I thought that was really weird. And it felt like a setup. It felt like a setup. They were like two wet cats in a barrel. And it was just a matter of who's going to crawl out on top. It was certainly an interesting case. Oh, that's one way to put it. To say the least. I want to ask you about some other interesting cases. You know, we have a lot of people that listen to this show that are huge, like housewife fans. Like I want to talk about like Jen Shaw and get your thoughts on that. You know, that she admitted that, you know, she just has a guilty plea that she just came out with. Well, I feel that very often, especially in the case of housewives, they are treated more leniently under the law. Um, but you have to, I, I firmly believe that that is true, but you have to take that with a box of salt because in our justice system, killers, rapists, child molesters, dope dealers are walking out the day that they're booked. So she is going to be treated leniently, but that's no different. And I don't agree with it, but that is no different than the way many uh, perps are being treated much worse than her. And so, what, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say like what, it's just because they're on TV and it just, it's like, what's I do the believe that there's, there's two wildly different uh, ends of the spectrum. They're either treated more leniently because they are stars or they're made examples of, I tend to believe they will be treated. She'll be treated more leniently. Wow. Are you shocked that she, cause I always say again, I'm not like a real lawyer like you, but I, I, I say on the show all the time, like when the feds knock on your door, it's, this isn't, this didn't happen yesterday. This is years and years. So there's usually no way, nowhere to go. I mean, is that true? Like when the feds knock, it's usually. Let me just say, when you look out your kitchen window and you see a fed picking through your trash, you're in trouble. You better call a defense lawyer right then. Of course, your phone will most likely be tapped by that point. But uh, you better get a defense lawyer pronto on your burner phone. Because once the feds get in, and I was a fed for three years before I got into uh, prosecuting violent crimes. I was a fed as a federal law clerk and then a fed for two years in antitrust and consumer protection. The feds don't go after you until they've got two rooms full of boxes of documents that will prove you guilty. They're very slow to move, but when they move, they're ready. That's what I say all the time, but I mean, I feel validated that you're saying it too. Yeah. So, I mean, you must not be shocked that she's now, you know, cause everyone in the case went from, you know, not guilty to guilty, except her. She literally said on national TV, I will fight to the bitter end. I will never admit guilt. I mean, are you shocked that she's changed her plea? Um, everything about that case was shocking to me. It's amazing to me that people can have so much 
and still want more, 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 more. It's, you know, gluttony at its worst uh, on display for everyone to see. The materialism is off the charts. And I think that may be why they're so popular, because the rest of the world just stands agape at the way they live. Um, but one thing about the feds regarding sentencing is there are uh, sentencing guidelines that most of the, the judges will most likely follow. And it's really hard to get around those guidelines. And does admitting guilt like so, you know, like later on, like right now before trial, does that factor in or is it just the guidelines? Like, does the judge say, I'm pissed off. You've wasted all the resources of this court or that just goes out the window and it's just these guidelines. There is a reason that people, prosecutors, withdraw a a plea offer before trial. As you go to trial, all bets are off. Why? Why is that? It's because when you prepare for trial, You ignore other cases that need to go to court to prepare this case. I would devote all my energies to the case, my number one case that I would take to trial. I would always start with the homicide. If that case, for some reason, fell through, I would go to another serious crime like another murder or a sex assault or child molestation that needed justice. Then I would go to a possession or an intent to distribute a a drug board. Um, so you ignore other cases to focus on that case. So other people are waiting for justice, other victims. Then you go through all the days, the weeks, the months of trial prep. Then you drag your victims and your witnesses through hell, H-E-L-L, to prep for trial. And then morning of, you change to a guilty plea? Uh Uh-uh. No, that deal is off. So... I I see it as much more severe when you wait until the last minute, the 11th hour to enter a guilty plea. It's almost like from what you're saying, maybe she's lucky that they accepted it. Uh, Well, if you want to plead guilty under the constitution, they can't say no, but you can get a much stiffer sentence. Wow. I'm just curious, like with white collar criminals, is it like, do they, in your experience, like, do they think they are, smarter than us, that they're not breaking the law. Hey, I found a loophole. I'm making all this money. And if you knew about it, you would make all this money too. Or and just in your experience in general, I don't know if you could just like sum it up and, or is it like, Hey, I know this is wrong, but it, it's okay. I'm like entitled to this. Cause I work hard. I think it's a mixture of what you just said. I think most criminals believe if they think it through, a lot of them act on impulse But if they think it through, they think I'll never get caught. Um, And that goes from something as simple as speeding, running a a red light or a stop sign, shoplifting something at at, at CVS to cold-blooded murder to white-collar crime like this. I mean, let's just talk about insider trading. Who's ever going to know that so-and-so tipped me off just before the business was sold? Who can prove that? Nobody. He's certainly not going to tell. So they think they'll never be caught if they think it through. Um, Then they get used to it. But I think that greed, and as I said, gluttony, is such a powerful motivator uh, in certain celebrities' lives that they are blind to the fact that other people don't live like them 
and they become sloppy and their crimes get more and more easily provable. Right. And maybe they think they're above it because they have the whole world. I love you. I love you. And adoration. Maybe does that factor into it? Maybe. You know, and another thing is you accurately mentioned other people immediately went guilty. I'll turn state's evidence. Sure. <laughs> they think that there's honor amongst thieves. Well, there's not. There is not. Do you think that someone, cause like, oh, this is just my line of thought. I'm just curious what you think. Like, so if you go on a reality show, not, not everyone's going to go on one. Not everyone wants to, it's kind of like a risk. You're like a risk taker. You're going to put your life out there. You want everyone to look. Do you think there's a correlation between people that go on any like reality show and maybe that there's something in your background because like, you know, like the nice quiet, like, I already made a stereotype about you being a nice Southern girl and you read me for it. So I don't want to make stereotypes, but not everyone wants to go on a reality show. So I think it attracts a certain type of personality to begin with, like that, you know, do you think there is a correlation because you're already this type that is ready to put your life out there? Does that make sense? Now, let me first say that I'm a JD, not an MD. But that said, my disclaimer up front I would say that exposing your whole life, of course, all, all reality shows are kind of rigged, right? Uh, a lot of that is not reality, Brown. but it's, wouldn't you think that putting yourself out there on a reality show, you'd be squeaky clean instead of putting it out there and drawing the attention of the feds in some way. I mean, that's a real risk taker, right? Yeah. I don't understand it either. I always say that if I were ever, you know, I have nothing to hide, but if I were ever chosen for a reality show, I would hire, maybe I'd hire you and I'd hire every private investigator possible. And I would say, you know, here's go and look into everything that I've ever done and just bring it to me right now. And I just want to know every little comment that's ever right. You, you, I don't understand what goes through people's minds because. And to think that the others would not, that they would rather go to jail for the maximum rather than turn state's evidence on you. That's really interesting. I'd have to have a shrink. We'd have to bring in not just Freud, but a whole team from Vienna to figure that out. How you are so vain and self-centered that you believe everybody around you that knows what you're doing wrong would rather go to jail for the max than turn state's evidence on you that's, again, I'm not a, 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 an MD, but that's pretty narcissistic where you only see yourself when you look in the mirror. You don't see everybody else standing behind you. That's amazing to me. It's amazing to me too. As we move on. And I bet you anything, she's mad at him. I guarantee you. She's like, how dare they, you know, turn on me. It's warped. You think so? You think even now she's with this guilty plea and you're caught, and you know, you still think that possibly she's like, Yeah, if they hadn't told on me, they hadn't ratted me out, then I wouldn't be in this spot. Sure, I'm sure she's still blaming other people. Wow. I don't disagree. What about, you know, moving on to Erica Jane? And then I want to talk more about your career and this great show before we wrap up. Like, did you know Tom Girardi as a lawyer in the business? No. I did not know. I did not know him as a lawyer. Did not. Are you shocked at what's going on with her? I mean, she just was served with this like $50 million racketeering lawsuit. I mean, her situation, I guess, is different. It really goes to what? Like, did she know what he was doing or not? I think is kind of how you could sum it up. 
Well, uh, guilty knowledge won't, won't necessarily land you behind bars for any type of racketeering or conspiracy. There has to be what we call an overt act. Um, it can be as simple as um, hmm, taking taking something to the bank, getting a withdrawal, being in on a conversation. It, it, it doesn't have to be a lot to be an overt act, but I guarantee you, if somebody's charged with racketeering, RICO, uh, which is a complicated case to prove. They've got the goods on her, dollars to donuts. It's not just guilty knowledge because under our constitution, you do not have the duty to make someone else do the right thing or to report them necessarily. Guilty thoughts will not land you in the pen. You ain't going to the big dollhouse for nothing, okay? So there's something more than just guilty knowledge. And you think the same thing, like if you get served with this racketeering, like those are serious charges and chances are. Yeah, it's over. That... It's over. Mm-hmm. Wow. It does make you wonder, and they too had money. They had money. They lived a nice life, right? It's, you can't say. Pretty high on the hog as we like to say, pretty high on the hog. Um, now, while reality viewers may love watching that, you know, the glitz, the fashion, the house, the cars, jurors, not so much, not so much. Jurors, not so much. And Erica comes under a lot of scrutiny in the sense that, you know, she hasn't shown any remorse for these victims that apparently he was stealing from like social media, like, where is the lawyer, right? I mean, like, isn't that, like you say, the jury? I mean, I know what, what happens in the courtroom, but when someone just shows no remorse, like, I didn't do this, whether you did or not, I can do whatever. Well, even if you wanted to say, I didn't do this, or I didn't know about this, that could quickly be followed up, if sincere, about being heart sick about what has happened to victims. And, you know, I think that would have gone a long way. But again, that's in the court of public opinion. That will be far different than what happens in a, in a courtroom. It'll be far different when, and according to you, it's over and this is not going to end well. Oh yeah. You get a RICO indictment. Bye-bye. And it's all for what? I, I say fame. I say money. And then you go on the show, like you're already doing this, but why, why do you need Yeah, for what? More designer clothes and shoes you never wear. I mean, for what? For why? What do you think? I mean, talking about Britney for a second, like the conservatorship is over. Like, I mean, I assume you're referring to Britney Spears again yes. you're on a first name basis. Let me just put it up front. I'm biased. I love Britney Spears. I've loved her from day one. Who doesn't love Britney Spears, right? I mean, I'm a, I, I, listen, I don't want to make another stereotype, but I'm a self-respecting gay man. But you're so, going I mean, to. Well, I, it's about myself as a gay man. I mean, I don't know any gay man like myself that does not worship the Britney or the Madonna or the Cher of the world. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bring myself down a notch here. But I mean, does this change? You know, like, I mean, in my knowledge, and again, correct me, like conservatorships are like traditionally so hard to get out of it, never, but we've never had one where someone's, you know, in their thirties. So, I mean, does this now, is this like bigger than Brittany? Like, does this change? Oh, it's much bigger, bigger. In fact, I've launched um, uh, an investigation that we're, we're really digging into 
at Fox Nation about conservatorships. And I'll tell you what started it. I was at a function, uh, the Patriot Awards in Florida, and I was approached by this group of people. They were all dressed up like they were going to work. And I mean, they suits and nice formal conservative dresses. And they had this big folder and came to me and I took it and they went, can you help us? I said, who are you? They're not relatives of each other, but every one of them has has someone in a conservatorship. Some of them can't even see them like your grandma or your mother. And um, I knew a little bit about it. I'd never prosecuted anything like that. <laughs> I watched this movie and you're going to laugh. It's something like, I care. I really care with, uh, oh, what's her name? Rosamond, is it Pike? Rosalind Pike, yeah. <sighs> yes, her. Yeah. I love her. And she was in, uh, was she in Gone Girl? Wasn't mm, she in Gone Girl? Was she maybe, yeah. Anyway, she played a conservator and it was a business. It was a conservatorship business that handled them uh, in large scale and how someone fought to get a loved one out of the conservatorship. And I was like, whoa, does this really happen? And then out of the blue, a few weeks later, this group approached me at this public event asking for help. to expose what was happening to their loved ones in these lockdown conservatorships. And then, of course, Brittany's story came out, really hit the headlines, and it made everyone aware of the dangers of conservatorships where you really give up all of your assets, your home, your car, your savings, and someone else has control of your money. And in Brittany's case, she had a personal manager as well, making her health decisions, who she hung out with, how she spent her money. I mean, it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. So, I mean, this should change things going forward. And nobody did a thing. Everybody sat by. Her mother, her sister, her ex, Federline, they all just sat back and lived off the money while that girl worked it. You know how hard a residency is? People go, wow, that's a lot of money. You are working six or seven days a week. And at night, you can have no semblance of a normal life. And there she is wanting to be with her children. What, she's going to move them into the Vegas hotel? I mean, she was trapped in a gilded cage. And you're still trapped no matter what. Yeah. I mean, when you read the facts and now it's, it's, it's the more you hear, the more it's shocking. Awful. Well, I have to ask you, what is more difficult? This is my segue. Dancing with the stars or prosecuting all these people, Nancy? Dancing with stars. I said it 500 times. I'd rather be trying a serial killer than what I did. Of course, I had fun. I loved doing Dancing with the Stars, but it was hard. It was really hard um, because it was something I... I I didn't know how to do. I know how to strike a jury. I know how to work a case, find witnesses, uh, go to the crime scene, go to the crime lab, go to the morgue. I know how to cross-examine. What I don't know is uh, how to do the quick step. I mean, that was hard. (laughs) Do you remember anything? Do you remember the steps? Like if I asked you now to do a pasta doble, can you break into a pasta doble? 
I could try. <laughs> I could try. But well, I, I got to tell you, the hardest thing about it was that was the first time I had ever been away from my children uh, that many consecutive hours in their lives. They were just three. And we moved to L.A. And my husband, for the first time, was taking them to play school. And uh, he would also pick them up. And that just killed me. It just killed me. Well, having said all that. But I had a great partner, Tristan McManus, great partner, uh, very patient. And I had a great time. I loved doing it as the feisty fan favorite. I mean, the viewers really pulled me through on that one. I don't think it was my dancing skills that got me that far. (laughs) But look, it's all about, you know, I know it was hard. You're away from your children, but you know, sometimes they have, you know, these all stars, they bring people back. If they were going to do a like blast from the past and your phone rang tomorrow, would you go back? If I could take my children with me. Sure. And I would have to insist on dancing with Tristan again. I would think that they would say yes to all of that. Yeah. Uh, Tristan has, he's so happy now. He's got, I think, three children. He's married to the love of his life. And he has this awesome on-air position. He's so happy. Um, And he was really very kind to me because he's this fantastic dancer. And I knew nothing. It was like pushing a grocery cart around the dance floor. Okay, so bring your children and have Tristan. I think, listen, ABC, let's just put that out there. I think those demands could be met. You know, from where I sit, and I think a lot of people sit, you know, it does seem like you have, you know, like balls of steel. Like, it seems to me like nothing scares you. Like, does anything scare Nancy Grace? I don't want to make any assumptions or stereotypes anymore. One thing, being away from my children being separated from them. You know, after covering all these cases, I admit it, that may have been me spying on them at recess. That's okay. Just to make sure some wild, crazy person didn't jump on the playground and try to steal them, okay? So it's very hard for me to ignore uh, what I do all day, every day, and then switch it off and try to be normal. it does, has affected every aspect of my life and how I raise my children. I think being away from them is the single worst thing, you know, for me to consider. And is it that you have like a heightened state of, cause I mean, look at what you see. I'm sure a lot doesn't shock you. You see these, I mean, what goes through people's minds and the crimes? Like, is it that of like, I know what people are capable of and this is a crazy sick world we live in. Is it that that's kind of, has, and then has that made you like an overprotective mother or are you really just kind of as hard as it is for you, keep it out of that last before you're about to say, no, don't go out or whatever. Well, I try, I, I, I pretty much let them do what they want to do, but um, I go to great extremes to keep them safe. And, you know, it's a lot just, I guess after Keith was murdered for so many, many years. I held it. I fed everybody with a long handle spoon. I did not want to get close to anyone. I had no interest in remarrying at all. Um, And so when I finally did it, um, 
it was a life-changing event for me. And I just, you know, they're my whole world. So I think the years of prosecuting and investigating and covering crimes, analyzing crimes, heightens my sense of my spidey senses of security and well-being for them. And hopefully they can ignore that. I don't know. <laughs> That's understandable. And listen, it doesn't even matter because everyone thinks their parents are too overprotective. So regardless, you know, yeah. You, yeah. your spidey it's so senses. It's easy to blame everything on your mother or your father. And it's very convenient too. So I'm sure they will. It is very convenient and yes and yes. And finally, before we wrap up and everyone needs to watch Bloodline Detectives and then if you want to say anything else too, I just want to know, because like looking at your Instagram, it is, that's what comes out to me. It's your children, your children, your children. Next picture, your children. It's clear to me, you know, they are your life. But what do you think is like the biggest misconception of you? When people hear Nancy Grace, what do you think they go to that's just so incorrect? Number one, if I cared about what other people thought, I mean, yeah, it hurts. Of course it hurts when I read things like that. But if I cared, then I'd still be hiding under my bed. I'd still be sitting on a red dirt road in rural Bibb County. No dream would have ever come true. No task would ever have been accomplished. And I would go the rest of my life wondering, what if I had fill in the blank. So I tell my children, you judge yourself, yourself, not by what someone else may think. It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what you think. Then I quote Shakespeare, to thine own self be true. They ignore that part, but maybe one day it will sink in. Such good advice. I agree with all of that. Is there anything else you want to mention before we go? This show is so great. Like I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love it because it gives me such a bloodline detectives gives me such a chance to delve into forensic science, the intricacies of DNA, of um, genetic genealogy, Uh, it's changing every day as we speak. We are finally fusing science with criminal law. Uh, I I think it's incredible. And I believe it should be taught in law schools across our country, how to prove a case with science. It's amazing. And I, I finally get the chance to do that with real life cases on Bloodline Detectives. It's a season two just started streaming and we're heading into season three. And I am so grateful to be part of it. I am so grateful too. And like you said, it's so shocking. I mean, these are cold. Like these, some of these cases are so old. And the fact that like, it's just, what? Like, again. They're not cold, they're frozen. Yeah. (laughs) That cold. And then they get solved. So it's like, it's so, again, I thought I, thought I was going to watch one episode to prepare for this. And I'm like, there's not enough time in the day. I'm like, I, I, I can't stop watching this. I'm like addicted. So. I'd like to take the credit, but it's really about the uh, forensic experts. And literally they call them bloodline detectives. It's, it's really them. They get all the credit. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So everyone needs to check it out. You can come back when season three comes out. This has been Such a pleasure. I really appreciate your time, honestly. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you to your whole team. And thank you very much. Bye, friend. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind The Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me, and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.